Hello, readers, and welcome back to the Brennan Book Blog Podcast. I am your host, Kate Brennan, and with me in the studio today is sound engineer Daniel Eddie Williams. Episode 12 celebrates everyone's favorite time of year with the fall of the patriarchy. This episode features books with fabulous female heroines who are probably just as extraordinary as the women you actually know in your own life. The Divergent Trilogy by Veronica Roth You may not have heard of Divergent yet, if you've been living under a rock. You may be waiting to crawl out from under your stony abode until you can view the movie trilogy. Crawl out now and read the books. Divergent is one of the YA series that gained a lot of momentum, and rightfully so, a dystopic tale broken down into a world of factions. Abnegation, who serve in gray, avoiding mirrors. Erudite, library-loving bookworms. Candor, who tell the truth, sometimes to an annoying degree. Amity, peaceful, guitar-playing organic farmers. And Dauntless, reckless, violent, tattooed soldiers. Shortly after immersing yourself in Roth's world, you will find yourself allegiant to one of the factions, and subsequently categorizing your family, friends, and partners into their own. This may or may not cause you to reevaluate your relationships. The tone of Divergent is simple, quick, and no-nonsense, much like the world of the book, but it also whisks you away on a dark, metallic, austere journey examining responsibility and civilization. It's the giver and the handmaid's tale reframed with dashes of 1984. Is the poet in me disappointed that Allegiant does not have the compound rhyme that Insurgent Divergent shares? Yes, but that's probably my biggest qualm with the series. The first book ends with such a bomb, you will be thrilled you started reading them when you could immediately continue to book two. Yesterday perusing the YA section of the bookstore, the young woman working asked if I needed help. I pointed to a collection above my reach, which incidentally had a female heroine, and the worker made a face. Did you not like it? I asked. It was okay, she replied. I'm just tired of the whole female heroine saving her friends thing. I wanted to say, I endured years of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and Harry Potter and Holden Caulfield for one damn Katniss Everdeen. We've been waiting forever for the whole female heroine saving her friends thing. And then I imagined throwing her with my Triss-like dauntless skills into the bookcase. The stacked volumes would dislodge and fall about her, and among them, she would find her next favorite series, fronted by a female heroine. Instead, I made a sour face while she handed me some of her suggestions. So now that we've got them, let's support our athletic, conflicted, confident, vulnerable, confused, funny, dark, light, loving, flawed, tragic, comedic female heroines. We've been waiting for them for quite a while. Artemis by Andy Weir. What's better than being stranded on Mars and abandoned by your crew with only potatoes to live on? Anything, really. Anything would be better than that. But if we're talking in terms of Andy Weir's brilliant first novel, The Martian, what would be better than Andy Weir writing the witty and scientifically credible story of one character? 
That would be Andy Weir creating a witty and scientifically credible story about a whole city on the moon with an awesome, no-nonsense female protagonist smuggler, which he did when he wrote Artemis. Having loved Weir's writing voice in The Martian, I scooped up Artemis immediately and summarily devoured it. The protagonist, Jazz, a citizen of Artemis, the moon colony, slaves away as a smuggler to save up enough slugs for a better life. Because moon real estate sounds pricier than New York and San Francisco combined. An integral player in the city's sordid underbelly, Jazz is roped into a scheme by a wealthy benefactor while desperately dodging the ever-watchful moon cop and a new slew of moon mafia. Which, let's face it, is kind of challenging in a city that's literally under a bubble. Note to self, this could be included in the genre books that effectively employ domes as a device. Let's just say that oxygen is a premium in zero-G. With a seriously diverse cast of characters, an entirely new take on moon landing, and a unique pen pal scenario, Artemis is bound to launch to the bestsellers list immediately. Pun intended. Kudos to Weir for introducing a minority female protagonist who is dynamic, intelligent, flawed, and beautiful. And incidentally, like a lot of the awesome, dynamic, intelligent, flawed, and beautiful female characters in my own life. Plus, reading Weir is like taking a cool science class as an adult, just in a totally different atmosphere. City of Savages by Lee Kelly Having just turned the last page of Lee Kelly's City of Savages, two questions arise. Mom, is it too late for me to have a sister? And is it possible for me to avoid the 456 line for the rest of my life? I had intended to get City of Savages on Friday night at the official release event, have it autographed by the author in a very civilized, book lover kind of way, and leisurely enjoy this anticipated release over the next week. Instead, I started reading the sample last night, then immediately downloaded the whole book, devoured it under my covers, shivering alternately with fear and from the lack of heat in my apartment, and somehow finished it within 24 hours. Now, I read many a book in 48 and 72 hour stints, but 24 hours? There has got to be a new term for page turner at that point. The book is like being on a bicycle racing downhill. My feet couldn't even keep up with the pedals. In an instant, I was transported to a post-apocalyptic Manhattan and reintroduced to the places I frequent daily from a totally fresh perspective. The story follows two sisters, Skye and Fee, children born from the ashes of the post-World War rubble, as they negotiate their way amidst the survivors of the city. Many reviews I've read have lauded the strong women in the book, and there are incredible female characters, but actually they aren't strong women. They are women. Guess what? Women actually are strong, resourceful, fearless, and complex, risk-taking, reckless, bold, and brave, just like the women in the book. We've been so brainwashed by the heteronormative American apparel-lounging airbrush thigh-gap media that we've forgotten this truth. And this is what I love most about Kelly's book. The characters are not women first and then characters. They are characters who just happen to be women. The romantic relationships in the book are not straight or gay. They are relationships. Oh, and they just happen to have a sexual orientation. It's narrators like this that give me hope that America isn't completely doomed. 
Ironic, considering that this is coming from a novel about a catastrophically devastated, war-ravaged skeleton of a metropolis. The narrative whisks at the pace of, well, a New York minute, and yet each page is replete with rich imagery and nuanced simile. Some of the emotional descriptions are so unique and accurate, I highlighted them for future reference, in the event that I'm ever holed up in Central Park, forced to street fight for my family's welfare. But I digress. It may be the literature junkie in me, or the delirium with which I turn the pages, but I can't help but think that this two-sister chronicle is actually a metaphor for those two parts at war within each of us who live in New York. The parts that hate to love and love to hate this city. The voice that says, you must survive here or be a failure the rest of your life. Or, why would anyone live this way? This is insane. But that is the same paradox that is at the heart of every New York moment. It's the crowd that insists on getting on the subway before people get off. And the crowd that stops in the middle of 7th Avenue to help someone who's fallen with her luggage. It's the pole leaner on the A-train, oblivious to your squashed hand, and the unassuming stranger who swipes for you when your card malfunctions. It's the fact that I cannot understand one single word over the speakers on the one train, but I can hear every lyric of the man singing Tina Turner outside my fifth floor walk-up at 3 a.m. So, whether you love it here or hate it here in Gotham, you are guaranteed to be hooked by this fiery debut. And you will never ride the sixth train the same way again. Thank you for tuning in to episode 12 of the Brennan Book Blog Podcast, The Fall of the Patriarchy. I am your very sick sound engineer for the podcast, Daniel Eddie Williams. Brennan Book Blog received a galley from NetGalley in exchange for an honest review. Thank you, NetGalley. We are gearing up at B3 to offer you great reads for the holidays and for the new year, so be sure to check back in two weeks for our winter episodes. The Brennan Book Blog Podcast makes a great gift. It's free, so tell your friends. Speaking of free, now the Brennan Book Blog Podcast is featured in the Delaney Brown Library at Oklahoma City University, so check out your local library to check out one of our books. Thank you, Delaney Brown Library, for supporting the Brennan Book Blog Podcast. All of our episodes are available for streaming on your favorite podcasting platform, and be sure to check out our blog blog at brennanbookblog.tumblr.com. Until next time, the Brennan Book Blog Podcast encourages you to keep calm and read on. Brennan Book Blog is a faculty feature on WOCU, the official podcast channel of Oklahoma City University's BA Theater and Performance Program. Executive producers include Mark Parker, Brian D. Parsons, and Gregory DeCandia. WOCU Executive Director is Nicole Waltman. Brennan Book Blog Episode 12 was written and hosted by Kate Brennan, with producing engineer Daniel Eddie Williams and program manager Hannah V. Boyens. Brennan Book Blog's theme was composed by Kate Brennan, with additional music provided by Eric John. The entire first season of Brennan Book Blog is on WOCU.online and available via your favorite podcast streaming service. Brennan Book Blog encourages you to keep calm and read on.